0: Think about being a part of that um, with us together. Uh, Scripture this morning is from Mark 4, verses 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord
1: super excited about this giving initiative. At a time of the year when a lot of organizations are raising funds, this and that, you know, as a time in the, in the season and life of the church, where it probably makes sense on surface levels to be raising funds to get us to continue up and going, we want to just make a statement, a stake in the ground that we want to live in faith by being outward and focus. And so 100% of this is being outward and focus. And I just love what this is gonna hopefully build into our DNA, and that's what we've been talking about, being a culture of generosity. You know, living for others. So would you consider giving towards this? Uh, We're trying to make a goal attainable. It'd be awesome if we could, we could exceed that, but where we could be having an impact in the community in ways of not only building community, but also pouring in to meet tangible needs. Uh, it'll be fun to share with you uh, as the Lord moves amongst the church in the weeks ahead. Uh, today, we're talking about Christmas, which, wait a minute, isn't Thanksgiving coming up? We're going to talk about Christmas today uh, because today I want to I start thinking a little bit ahead in, in planning for that And uh, this is actually for those of you on the Myers-Briggs who test J, Uh, you're more of the planning type, you know, it's like if you don't give me a schedule, if you don't give me a plan for my calendar, I'm going to wring your neck. This is for you guys in preparation for you. This is also for you guys who test P's where, you know, you're more open-ended and you probably just discovered today during announcements that Thanksgiving is this week. Uh, There are things wherever we're at... uh, Wherever we're at on the personality scale, uh, we can be planning for, even this week, having an impact on this Christmas. Because Christmas as a church gives us a real opportunity, does it not, to, to be a witness to the world. Christmas is one of those times where uh, it's, it's, the, it's the only Christian holy day uh, that is also a major secular ho- uh, holiday and arguably our culture's biggest and so as a church that is following Jesus together, it's an honor to share the virtues of the day with the entirety of society. Uh, because the, Christ, the, the secular Christmas is a festival of lights. It's a time of family gatherings. It's a time of giving generously to those closest to us and those in greatest need. And these all align with, even originate from, the Christian celebration of the holiday. So take, for instance, the emphasis on, on light and darkness. That really comes... From the Christian belief that the world's hope comes from outside of it, which, by the way, isn't that an important thing in our country right now, needing hope outside of human systems? Uh, even Wherever we're at on the spiritual spectrum, I imagine there's something to be thought about there. And by the way, if you weren't here last week, the post-election message was was, uh, given then. If you would like to find it, it should be online uh, later today or tomorrow. But the idea of giving of gifts is a natural response to Jesus' amazing self-act of giving when he laid aside his glory to be born into the human race. And then, of course, the concern for the needy that the holiday uh, recalls, it, it shows us, it comes from this idea of the Son of God intentionally being born, not into a royal family, but into a poor one. That the Lord of the universe understands what it means to be the least of these and, and even uh, can relate to the most excluded of the human race. In short, this holiday seems to be a God-given gift to us to help those around us who might be just a little bit more open to hearing the message of what the real mes- the meaning of Christmas is and through that the real meaning of what Jesus Christ is all about. And so therefore, we really want to take advantage and and push towards December 18th, making it a big day where we throw a worship, a worship gathering, throw a party to just kind of celebrate these things and bring people into it. We're doing December 18th because Christmas Day, nobody's going to be around. Okay, a lot of people aren't going to be around. And actually, we can't rent this space. It's not going to be available, so we're going to take the day off. So we're going to be really pushing towards December 18th. And the goal today is, is for each of us to be thinking about, I would love for us to be thinking about someone in our life, a coworker, a family member in the area a neighbor a friend or two that we can be praying about thinking about inviting that day um, because it would be fun to just pack this place out for one thing but also live expectantly that god changes hearts starting with our own and those hearts of the people we love around us now if you are not a christian you don't identify as such and you're here today you picked a great day to come Because to me, this really gets at the heart of what uh, a a primary purpose of the church should be about. And that is helping people around us ultimately come to follow Jesus alongside of us. And hopefully you'll see today in the text that we're looking at today that it doesn't come in the ways that usually people from outside the church looking in or their experience of church or Christians from the outside in uh, experience that. Oftentimes I think we get caught up in the, oh man, people are just trying to drive Jesus down my throat, Bible thumping, soap on the box type preaching. It's not that way. Jesus operated in completely different ways. And so as we take our faith seriously as a church, how can we do this in an accessible way? This passage really helps us in that. Because our mission statement as a church is this, to help people in the Silicon Valley and beyond move towards Jesus by activating people to live for God's kingdom first, and helping people into the faith through gospel-centered community, and it's that last part, helping people into the faith through a gospel community, that we see beautifully and powerfully on display in the story in the text that we were just looking at today. So, church, as we have this big purpose, this big vision and calling, uh, let's look at this text to see how it equips us and encourages us in this. So let me pray, and then we'll and then we'll get into it. Lord, uh, Jesus, you are the light of the world. Uh, We celebrate this around this time of year. And we just, as a church, want to lift that light high. We want to be a city on a hill that people see the light. Uh, Help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what we're going to be looking at is is helping people move towards Jesus. Considering this thought, and, and we're really going to look at three ways. The first is it starts with loving in community. Now I, I love this, and we'll see this here in the text. But to bring us up to speed, if you're paying, if you've been, if you've been here the last few weeks, you've been paying attention. Uh, we are moving through the book of Mark, and we have reached about Mark five. Last week we were at Mark four. Well, today we're at Mark two. What's the deal there, David? Are you just gonna be going backwards so we can never get out of Mark? Yes, we are. Actually, this was intentional, okay? I wanted to save this text for when we were gonna be considering Christmas and thinking about these things. Uh, but to bring us up to speed, to, rem- to remind us what was happening back in Mark 2 where the story picks up, Jesus is just getting going. The ministry is just getting starting and he is being known, he's, he's already developed a reputation for being a, a, a teacher of great authority, so people are coming to hear him in the masses. And then he also has a, a reputation for being a healer. Lots of people, it says, even at some points right before this text, whole towns are bringing the sick before him, and he's healing them. And so now he's in his hometown, where we pick up in this story. He's in his house in, uh, in, a, in a place near the Sea of Galilee. And there's even details saying it's so packed out because he's such a great teacher that there's not even standing, you know, there's, the overflow rooms are, are taken and because of his healing reputation, there's these four guys who bring this paralytic guy uh, for a healing. And that's where we pick up the story. Four guys. Four guys, loving in community. Now, what does it tell us about these four guys that they would haul, haul this guy, that they would carry this guy an indefinite amount of distance to bring him before Jesus? I mean, because even picking a guy up I mean, even four guys picking up one guy who can't move, taking him across the room would be strenuous, would it not be? And we don't know if this guy, you know, if they brought him across the street, if they brought him across town. We don't know if he brought, they they brought him from another town entirely. What this tells us is that these guys were really good friends with him. You know, I was scratching my head to think, okay, maybe could this guy have paid them to do this? Answer to that question, Very, very unlikely, because in first century Palestine, if you were paralyzed, it meant society, for the most part, discarded you. Uh, You were not going to be well off. You were not going to be taken care of. These four guys really cared about this man, such that they were putting his needs, his well-being over and above their own. Now, I feel like in in real ways, uh, this kind of thinking, this kind of love is not the natural thing for us, is it? I was in a conversation this week uh, with one of you that work at Google, and it was a really fun conversation uh, because uh, you, are, now I don't, I don't work at Google, so I might get some of these details. I know some of you guys at Google, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, but what I understand is how the promotion, how promotions work at Google is you have to have peer reviews kind of speak into things, and then you know, after a bunch of your peers on your team or whatever, you know, say you're, you're good or whatever, the management will look at that and decide, okay, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. Well, they were at lunch, uh, this past week, and one guy on the team said, why in the world would I ever do one of these peer reviews? And someone shot back in that time and said, well, it's just it's a good thing to do. It's, it's the right thing to do. You should just do it. And he said, well, for what basis is it a good thing? Like, wh- why? And furthermore, if I do a peer review for one of my, my friends here or for one of, one of the people sitting next to me, and they benefit and they get a promotion that I could have perhaps gotten, like, that could end up actually hurting me. Like, why would I do that? And my buddy was telling me there was a lot of back and forth on this. They were just trying to work it out. Like, how does this make sense? And they finally came to the collective agreement. Well, it's this pay-forward system. Like, you should just do it because at some point in the future, you're going to want somebody to do it for you, even if it's a person you haven't really... Does that make sense? And, and I remember him sharing. He's like, yeah, you know, it just kind of has a slack of like, okay, I guess that sort of makes sense. Not really. Jesus said this, and this is really our, our mission verse of, the, of this church. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus gives us a higher calling, a foundation to really put our own cares and and needs aside for the sake of others. How do we know that? Because he says, as I have loved you. That word there is sacrificial love in the original language. It's saying you got to give up your own needs, your own desires for the sake of others. And what he's saying is when people see this, they will understand that there's something different about it. The world really distrusts and doesn't understand this love that I described is what Jesus is saying. And then when we live this out, they can't help but see something different. These four guys were loving their friends in this way. What does it mean for us as a church to, li- to love in this way? It seems to me that our ministry in loving others starts with friendship. Building friendship, genuine friendship, not what's in it for me. And by the way, Jesus says love, even to the the, the full spectrum of loving your enemies. And so people that even that we would just, well, you know, you're around me, I don't really need much from you, that we should be invested in loving for. And it pains me, as a person who's grown up in the church, as somebody who's been a pastor for for a number of years, that so often, and I don't see this in, in in our culture here at Current, and I'm not thinking of any church in particular when I say this, but it pains me that so many people outside of the church, and maybe this is you, when your experience of someone who is a Christ follower shares their faith with you, it comes across a little bit as there's no relationship involved in it. There's very little relationship involved in it. If, by the way, you even know that a Christian beside you is actually Christian, there's kind of these two extremes. Christians either keeping their faith to themselves, or when they do, it's just kind of what, what I'll say, like a gospel dump, gospel drive by. Jesus loves you, and now I feel good about myself because I've said this. You know, it's interesting. Uh, when I was a student at Berkeley, uh, I don't know what it is about Berkeley, but a lot of people, I think, think. Berkeley's going to hell, because there's a lot of Christian groups that come onto the Berkeley campus sharing the faith of Jesus, which is good. We need that everywhere, let alone Berkeley. But there was often oftentimes that people outside of the city of Berkeley, outside of the state, actually, I even met somebody outside of the country who came to Berkeley to share, you know, as missionaries to share their faith, which was like, okay, this is cool. But anyways, they would often come in, this happens any number of times, they'd come up to, to me in, in twos or threes, and they'd say, hey, do you have a minute? We'd love to share with you about the love of God. And I'd say, uh, depending on my class schedule, depending on my emotional tank, uh, sure, and uh, they, they'd start to share with me every single time, hey, you, you need to know this about God, you need to know this about yourself, three, five minutes later, and do you believe this? And um, it was always fun in that part of the conversation, yeah, I believe it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm Christian. Oh, oh, cool, okay. So, and I, and I, you know, and, sometimes, and I don't want to knock this, because hear he, the whole thing out here. depending on how much energy I had at that point, I say, guys, hey, this is great what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. But I need you to understand that I get in conversations a lot, probably today, based on what I'm seeing here, of people in my class who say, can you believe those Christians? They're just coming in here to tell me about God and leaving. And I say, guys, keep doing what you're doing. It's good. But here's what I encourage you to do. Get to know people. Engage them in conversation for who they are, where they're at. You know? Uh, I, I feel like there's often times where w- even when we do muster up the opportunity to, to share our faith, it's like, okay, I just got it off my chest. It needs to come in relationship. What does this mean practically for us? Let's take December 18th as a very, very practical way of thinking about it. Instead of just inviting somebody on, on uh, December 18th to this gathering, would you consider now, because we have a month to think about this and plan for it, to invite somebody into your home first? invite somebody out for lunch to practice hospitality and to get to know folks for the purpose of friendship. Where are people at? What are they doing? What's going on in their life? Loving them, serving them, caring for them. And then by the way, you know, be who you are. It seems to me often what will happen for, for Christians in these sorts of situations, is maybe they'll pray for their food when nobody's there, but then when that friend's there, it's like, well, I won't pray for my food because I'm a little, no, be who you are. Or if someone sees the Bible on the stand, hey, yeah, and asks about it. You, can, you hear what I'm saying? The point is, in relationship, friendship is, is knowing and being known, getting to know folks and investing in that way. And it's often best practice in community. Now, there were four of these guys, so five guys total. You gotta figure these guys were doing game nights before this. Okay, obviously game nights weren't. Settlers of Canton probably came from this this time. Seven Wonders. Um, You know, these guys were hanging out. You know, they probably were doing this for the guy who's a paralytic in ways that were just very uh, sacrificial. But Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Guys, how important and vital is this to be living out Love for our culture around us, given today's environment. There are so many news outlets or what have you misrepresenting Christianity right now. And you know what Jesus says is the antidote for that? Loving. But that's only going to happen if we're intentional about it and we're bringing people in that community that people can taste and see, oh my goodness, there is something different about this. Not for the purpose, you've heard me say this before, so they say, oh, you know, people at current are cool, or not even for the purpose of, oh, Christians, aren't these words that I could list off that the media would say, but that they might find Jesus attractive. Like, if you're a Christ follower, you have found Jesus attractive. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So it starts in loving community, helping people towards Jesus, and then it comes through going the extra mile. You know, I've already talked about how these guys, uh, you know, uh, loved this guy so much that they were hauling him who knows what length of distances in order to put them before Jesus. But check out what other costs are associated here. Verse 4 says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. There are so many costs, it seems to me, associated for these four guys in bringing this man to Jesus. Uh, To list off a few, for example, there was a financial cost, no doubt involved. What do you mean financial? Well, someone had to pay for that roof, don't you think? Or what about the, the physical threat of harm? I grew up in Berkeley, Oakland area. If you dug through someone's roof, if you step on someone's toe, that's grounds for going fisticuffs. Just sand? I mean, seriously, like what, how is this going to work out? There's physical, potentially, uh, social awkwardness, that cost. I think this would probably be the hardest for me. The spotlight is on Jesus. People are packed in there like sardines, and yet little dust starts to fall down, and then more gravel, and then hay. I don't know what roofs were made of, right? And just flunk, and then this dude's coming down, you know, and then everybody's looking at this guy, interrupt Jesus. That's got to be pretty you know, hopefully we don't see these guys later after this. Sorry, not sorry. You know, and just kept going. And then, of course, here's an interesting one: the spiritual risk involved. Think about this. These four guys were coming to put their, their, this guy in front of Jesus, and here's the spiritual risk: what if Jesus didn't heal him? God, your boy here. Like literally, they didn't know that quite then at that time. That he was the son of God. Literally, the boy. You're like your boy here. Didn't heal him. Like, do you even exist? Like, we went through all this. Do you see all the risks and costs? All they went through to bring this guy before Jesus. They just they went the extra mile on so many fronts. So my question is: Are we willing to do the same for those around us? In the workplace, in our neighborhood. Uh, my guess is oftentimes the best will, you know, we'll, we'll maybe just maybe we'll invite them. No, okay, then, okay, we tried. And hey, not to knock that, that's good. But is that where we should, shop, uh, we should stop? Here's what I, I like to think this means for us. And I've said, I said this going back even before we launched this church uh, to the launch team. But it seems to me, especially when we think about December 18th, let's not just invite, let's bring people. You understand the difference? Inviting is like, hey, can you come? Okay, maybe, all right. Bringing is, let's say they come and it's texting them the, the Friday before, oh, I'm so glad you can come. Can we meet outside in the foyer at 10.15 because you know that somebody who's new, it's like, well, what's gonna happen there? Especially if they've never been to church before. Like, well, you know, let's get coffee. Or maybe I'll pick you up, even though I live right down the street. I'll drive over there and pick you up so that we can come in together. Or, oh, you have kids? Check-in starts at 10.15. I'll be there to help you do you following me, bringing instead of just inviting, because bringing means thinking through and thinking ahead about their needs and cares, and or anxieties, and it comes out of a genuine friendship, uh, whether that's just budding or a longstanding uh, friendship, and it can be costly. So, for instance, what about when someone finds out that you're Christian? You know, that could be a spiritual, that could be a relational cost, or what about you know the time and energy. You know, you might be the introvert type of, uh, you know, I use my evenings to decompress or I use my lunches to just kind of unwind, but spending that time developing a relationship. Uh, here's what I love about this text. At the end of the day, you know what the whole goal of these four men was? To proclaim Jesus, to hear a great sermon, to put him at the feet of Jesus. That was the whole goal. That's where they, everything was brought. And then after that, it was left in Jesus' hands. The ball was in his court, which brings us to our third thought of helping people move towards Jesus. It really comes down to trusting God with the healing, trusting God with the, what's going on behind the scenes. Because he, here's what hap, happens in this story. These four guys, they thought they knew what Jesus was getting ready to do. I mean, imagine the scene playing out, okay? The, the roof is coming down. Here comes this guy. Everybody in that scenario, the crowds, the teachers of the law who we find out are there, the four men, you know what they're getting ready to expect you to hear Jesus say. Oh, be healed, or something like that. But he says nothing like that. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. You guys know how uh, DJs will often, like, you know, scratch vinyl In moments when things don't make sense or it's a little unexpected, I feel like that was one of those times, like, really? What just happened? They didn't, no one would have expected that. Everybody was confused, but you know what? I bet everybody, even though everybody was confused, one wasn't, one person was not confused, and that was who? That was the paralytic. I bet you the paralytic was coming down on that mat, And he actually thought, okay, Jesus is going to hopefully heal me here. But then when Jesus said those words, sons, your sin are forgiven, something else happened in his heart. He wasn't expecting it, but it was a moment where true healing happened. And what's amazing is it was a type of healing that his buddies wouldn't have known or understood Think about it again from the, guy, the four guys' perspective. They would have been confused. They would have been like, Jesus, what is going on? What's sin? What are you talking about? And yet for the paralyzed guy, you got to think that there was a sin or two that came up to his mind. He said, wow, Jesus, you know that about me? And you love me? You accept me? We don't know what Jesus is doing in the hearts and lives of those around us. We don't know. In your family... Those closest, you, we don't know. And you know what? I don't even think oftentimes we know ourselves based on where we are, what God is doing in us at a given time. And yet the whole point of all of this is just to come before Jesus and sit at his feet, that he might touch our lives. And it might come in ways that we expect. It might come, and often comes, in ways that we don't. Uh-huh. I mean, to me, it's amazing. These four guys, they would have been happy if, Jesus had said, hey, get up and walk, and they got their healing, and they they bounced. They were good, all good. But you know what ended up happening? Despite them, you know, having, you know, despite their, would, oh, this is a hard sentence for me to get out, they would have orchestrated it that way, just heal him, Jesus, and we're out, but Jesus orchestrated it in another way that they didn't expect, and because of that, we got to see all these events play out that we never otherwise would have, this Interesting confrontation with the Pharisees, which that's another sermon that shows that Jesus is God and that he, that he loves and he heals. And by the way, that the scripture is preserved for us today. We don't know what's going on, but we need to trust God uh, with what he's doing in people's lives. And by the way, that starts with us in this room. Uh, it starts with us wherever we're at. If, you, if there's an area in your life you're ashamed of, or that you slip into, that you know goes against God, or at least you feel that, or it it hurts others, or whatever it might be, wherever you're on the spiritual spiritual spectrum, you can receive God's love for you, or you can re-receive God's love for you, or you can preach it to your heart, because God loves you. He knows you to your core and wants to bring healing. What's fascinating to me about this text is you look at the rest of this, verses 8 through 12, which won't be on the screen, Jesus wasn't going to heal the guy. Did you you notice that when it was read? Jesus was not going to heal this guy. The only reason he goes and and heals this guy is because he has to prove a point. The the Pharisees say, Jesus, you're just, God can only heal, forgive sins. And Jesus says, well, just that you know that I can forgive sins. Okay, I say get up your... Take your man and walk. He, Jesus wasn't going to heal the guy. What does that mean for us? It means, what we see on a lot of pages about Jesus and his ministry, is that Jesus ultimately cared about our spiritual healing, healing even over and above our physical. Now, does that mean he doesn't care about the physical? He cares about the physical. Why would he have a reputation for healing? But he cares most about the spiritual. And so we, as a church, just need to trust that God's doing greater things, even if it's not in ways that we would have thought or expected. Because look at verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of these four guys, not the faith of this guy coming down, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So helping people move towards Jesus starts in loving community. It means going the extra mile and and it's trusting God with what's going on in our hearts, with the healing there. You know, by way of closing example, Uh, somebody who means just so much to me and Cindy, has meant, uh, is uh, her father-in-law, a guy affectionately called Ba, which is short for uh, the Chinese word for dad, Baba. Um, You probably hear a number of examples and illustrations about his life because he's had such an impact in in me. But when Cindy was in high school, she put her faith in the Lord, and her her parents at the time uh, did not believe in Jesus. And so Cindy just started sharing her faith with them, any opportunity they could get, over years, years and years, and at one point, uh, Ba finally said to Cindy, she, he said, "Look, I don't talk about two things with family, okay? Politics and religion. So please, can you just keep that to yourself?" And Cindy was really uh, taken aback by that. She's just like, "I'm not going to share. I'm not going to stop sharing about Jesus. It's too important not to." But okay, I need to start praying and really kind of tone it down and think a little bit more intentionally about this. So she did. And what was interesting is uh, I came onto the scene eventually, and then and then, um, and then then uh, her brother and then her, her brother's uh, na- wife came onto the scene, and and we're all Christian. And so it's kind of like loving him in surround sound, as I like to say. And, you know, she, Cindy's like, look, this Christian pastor isn't so weird. Well, okay, maybe a little bit weird. But he's like, you know, we can have his coming And so he, little by little he started to open up. And have this conversation. Cindy was all about going the extra mile. When we would go down to San Diego, which is where they lived, on vacation, she had it figured out. She'd been praying, here's how I can share about Jesus with my dad. Like, let's do this. On vacation, like, let's do a little, hey, they're talking, let's, let's, let's talk about this. Let's do a little Bible study. I think they're open for that. Let's do that. Um, but ultimately, she and, and, and all her family had to trust God with what he was doing in his life because he came to faith in God about the same exact time that he found out he had late-stage, non-smoking lung cancer. And this just hit us like a ton of bricks because uh, he was the most disciplined guy in terms of exercising, in terms of what he eats, uh, that we're just like, wow, you know, the age of 60, so not all that high in age, given four to 10 months to live. Now, did we pray for his healing? Yes, we prayed for his healing. And actually, in some ways, that prayer was answered because he actually ended up living several more years beyond that and got to meet two of his grandsons, which was awesome. But Cindy had always said, man, how can this be? I always thought that if my dad put his faith in Jesus, so many people would come to know God's love through him because that's just the kind of guy he is, something he believes in. He just emanate, it emanates from within him. And so we would have never orchestrated it this way, but I'll tell you, so he did, he did pass away. And we were at his memorial service, which was just this, you know, given the circumstances, a heavy but wonderful time. And we were just remembering him through story after story. And all of them had a theme of, even though life was incredibly hard towards the end, even though it didn't make sense and all of these sorts of things, he had such peace and joy. Such peace and joy. He used to tell me, David, actually called me Dawei. he said, Dawei, I have such, I have a faith of a kindergartner. I don't have a faith of a mature person. I said, but you've only been a follower of Jesus for a short time and yet the way that you have joy and peace even when you face death is not a kindergartner. It's amazing what God is doing through in your faith. And so we were wrestling through these thoughts. God, how does this make sense? And after that memorial service, there were a number of people who came up to us and said, because that church was packed. It was a huge room. It was absolutely packed with people who had never really gone to church before in their lives. And a number of them came up afterwards and said, oh my goodness, I have been wondering and I can't, help but thinking. I remember one guy's like, I can't sleep. I've been thinking about this so much. How your father-in-law has had so much peace, even in the midst of this, unex- you know, this crazy event that just seems unfair. Actually, it is unfair. and Oh, it's because of his faith in God. And so we heard that. Cindy and I were talking about that last, uh, after in that night. We didn't need the gift of understanding some clarity there. God was showing us, oh, there's more going on here than we would have ever thought or planned for. And that was in an event where we wouldn't have orchestrated that way. But you know what? If God was moving people to put their faith in Jesus and find life and forgiveness in his name, even with him, you know, with, with our father-in-law going to be with him early, then so be it. Because at the end of the day, life is temporal here, the physical. But life with Jesus is eternal. And he has come to say, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Sins that even our friends might know, not know or those closest to us might know. He knows us through and through, loves us, accepts us, and he accepts and loves you. That's the miracle here. That's the good news. You can receive it today. You can extend it to others. It starts with love and community. Um, let's pull together in this. What do you say towards towards December 18th? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we just thank you for who you are and your love for us. That At the end of the day, uh, you did heal this guy, but you far more powerfully said first, son, your sins are forgiven. And I actually wanna pause right now with our, with our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you feel like God might be tugging on your heart, you can receive the forgiveness of sins in Jesus today. And all that means is saying, yes, God, I receive your forgiveness, dying on the cross for my sins. And if you'd like to do that, you can raise your hand now. I'll see it and pray for you. More importantly, he will see it and receive you into his kingdom. But if you'd like to receive life in Jesus, you can raise your hand today, and I'll pray for you. Yes, I see that hand. Yes. See that hand. Yes. Any others? Lord, first of all, we want to pray for those who've raised their hands today that you would bring spiritual healing to them. Not for anything they have done or could ever do, but because of your great love, your body broken, your blood shed on the cross for them and their sins. Lord, we all receive that today but with these hands that were raised would you bring them into your kingdom today as we know you do you receive them father all of us need your healing touch father really the power of this story comes from you became like the paralytic for us on the cross your body pegged up on there on the tree motionless unable to move and spiritually stuck there taking what we deserve on our behalf. So we love you, Jesus. Lord, would you help us as a church, again, shine this light. And would you help us to love in ways that those around us can't help but say, wow, there's something different. Because, Lord, there is, there's nothing greater or more beautiful than love in Jesus. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the band continues to play, we're going to be...